Today's scripture comes from two parts. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 40 to 45, and also from John 16, 13 to 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 40 to 45. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now the second part, John 16, chapter uh, chapter 16, 13 through 15. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. We are in part seven of this really important word um, about our union with Christ. And um, our brother, he, he prayed it. You know, I, I started with this very relatively simple definition. What is union with Christ? It is that you are in him and he is in you. You are in Christ, and Christ indwells you. But two weeks ago, I shifted and I deepened, you know, what is it? What exactly is it? And I began to give you a teaching about the Holy Spirit, that it isn't just some idea that Jesus is somehow mysteriously up there, and some, but he's also kind of in me, but the power of the way that Christ is indwells you is that that is what the Holy Spirit actually is doing. As John Calvin puts it, the bond of our union with Christ is the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity of God, is the one who binds you, who bonds you, who makes Christ indwells you, who makes you indwell Christ. Okay? That was the teaching I gave two weeks ago. We're going to be sitting in the pocket of that. And so today I want to continue on, I mean, I, we, I preached on these two passages last week, and I want to continue on that. Um, and so let's get at it, okay? Part one. Part one. The Holy Spirit's aim in your life. The Holy Spirit's aim in your life. There's all kinds of pe different people with I different ideas about What's the Holy Spirit? He's kind of invisible. He's, uh, what, what, I mean, there's some third person of the, of the Holy Trinity. 
And I know that even that's all mysterious, but what is he mainly doing? What is he mainly trying to do for you if you believe in Jesus? Okay, that's part one. Part two, a theology of the Holy Spirit. Part two, as a theology of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to lay out Revive's position on how you begin to, uh, how, what, what we focus on, what we believe the Bible is really is at, at the center of the emphasis of the Bible in the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of, kind of Christians tend to disagree about the movement of the Holy Spirit. And I want to lay down this theology for our church, okay? Theology of the Holy Spirit is part two. And part three, I want to go back and talk about prayer again. And uh, part three is called Hearing from Jesus Through the Spirit. Okay? Hearing from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So let's get to part one. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. This is the context for 1 Corinthians 15. And if you didn't hear last week's message and how I kind of um, broke this open, there's this portion here that talks about there's a glory, there's an earthly glory. But then there's a heavenly glory. That human beings who are of the, what the Bible calls the first Adam. That's kind of like everybody. We're all born of Adam. And Adam sinned. And then now we all inherit a sinful and kind of broken and messed up human, human nature. That's us. And so, but we all care about earthly glory. But the Bible says that there's actually a heavenly glory. And the context is the resurrection. So Jesus died, paid for our sins on the cross, and then he conquered sin and death through the resurrection. That's the context of the passage. But you get to this very remarkable and unbelievably strange verse that is not often taught. And I, and I, and I gave it to you quickly last week, but I want to sit in the pocket of it a bit more um, this week. And this is verse 45, all right? Verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, that's the sinful Adam, which you and I are all part of, okay? And Adam is a word, is, 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 is his name, but Adam also just means human being. Adam means man, that's it, all right? So the first Adam or the first man is just a human being, the fallen, broken human being. Thus it is written, the first human being, the first Adam became a living being. So he was just dust. And then, he was, and then he breathed, and he, he was alive, and the Holy Spirit breathed life into him. That's what it teaches in, in Genesis. It says, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's what it says. The last Adam, the last Adam is Jesus Christ, right? And particularly, what we're talking about here is a lot of you tend to think of Jesus as the Son of God, so you primarily think about God, Jesus, in his divinity. And so, but here, we're not just talking about, we're not talking primarily Jesus as God. We're talking about Jesus as man. Okay, this is, it's really important. Jesus as man, the last Adam, the last version of the human being, that's Jesus. The resurrected Jesus, he is going to be a life-giving Spirit, that's what it says. Now let me immediately take you, I gave you a quote last week, and um, let, let me, if you remember, if you're one of these wonderful people that remember everything, you're like, why is he saying this all over again? I remember all this. It's like just review. Thank, 
great for you, okay? You, God gave you superpowers, and you remember everything that was preached. And now, for the 98% of the rest of you, we, we can, we're going to say this twice because it's that important, okay? I'm going to take you to a quote from a really important, it's not a thick book. It's not an easy book, honestly. It's called By Faith, Not By Sight. And uh, this book was actually written by my professor, Richard Gaffin. And he is actually explicating this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he's talking about union with Christ, our subject matter. And he's talking about specifically the resurrected Christ as the last Adam. So let me give you this quote, all right? In his resurrection, or okay, when we go this, in discussing union with Christ, okay, in his resurrection... He has been so thoroughly transformed by the Holy Spirit and has come into such complete and final possession of the Spirit. Let's just stop for a moment, okay? How does the Bible talk about the resurrected Jesus? The resurrected Jesus, he's, a lot of us, uh, you tend to just, we, we tend to have just kind of like, okay, Jesus, God, okay, that's good. I could, that's about as far as I can get. But, you know, when he was born, he had a human nature. It wasn't a fallen, broken human nature like us. But guess what? He had to obey. He got tired. He, he was tempted by the devil. You know, uh, it always blows my mind, but Jesus had bad breath. Jesus farted. <laughs> Jesus got hungry. Jesus got tired. Like, you know, that's what he was like. Like, yet... Somehow, and we can't even imagine what this is like because we're so filled with sin, his human nature did not sin. But it isn't just because Jesus, you know, was born. He was like, I'm God, superpowers. <laughs> you know, I'm superpower man, God. I'm superhero God. No, he was fully human. What gave him a humanity that could defeat the devil and sin and even conquer sin and death even conquer the cross. It was that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is, you know, this passage is getting at this. This is how Richard Gaffin puts it. Christ has been so transformed. In his resurrection, Christ has been so thoroughly transformed by the Holy Spirit and has come into such complete and final possession of the Spirit that consequently they are one in the work of giving resurrection life, of giving eschatological life, okay? Let me just stop for a moment here. I remember when I first was studying this under my professor, and he was citing this, this verse about Jesus being life-giving spirit. And I remember thinking, you're not supposed to get the Son of God confused with the Spirit of God. Like, if you say the Son of God did this, the Spirit of God did this, it seems like they're just kind of doing the same thing, and that's not how the Bible talks, and that's heretical, and that's wrong. I remember going like, how can my brilliant professor with the finest seminaries, one of the most picky seminaries when it comes to biblical truth, be teaching me heresy, right? Which is just wrong, because that's not what he's teaching. If you ever get a teaching where, like, the Son, the Son in his divinity, the Son of God in his divinity and the Holy Spirit in the divinity 
is somehow mixed up and confused, that's heretical. That is like, that's a deep attack against Christianity, okay? Against the Bible. But that's not what this pastor is teaching. This pastor's teaching is that the Son of God became the man, Jesus. The proper teaching about Jesus is that he is God-man. He's fully God, and he's fully man. And the average Christian just tends to think of Jesus God, and then when he's acting like a man, you know, he's like Superman, you know? Like, if you ever watch, like, uh, like these, I watch the Warriors, and every time they do some crazy shot, like, you know, like you say, Jamon Green, he goes like this. He goes, he makes a shot, and he goes like this. And I, was, and I always just think it's silly. And, but a lot of Christians tend to think Jesus is like Jamon Green. I did that miracle, <laughs> you know, because I'm God. That, that, that isn't right. Jesus is the ultimate final kind of man. And he has a special kind of life. He has a heavenly glory. Not an earthly glory. He has a heavenly glory. And the heavenly glory comes through the indwelling of the life of God through the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus, the human being, the human being now is filled with divine, eternal, heavenly glory by the Holy Spirit. And now that Jesus has conquered sin and death in his resurrection and can never die again, now the resurrected Jesus, the man, the human, the human man, Jesus, now imparts life-giving spirit. And there's only one life-giving spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay? So let me just finish. Um, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church and as he dwells all believe indwells all believers is the indwelling presence of the exalted Christ in his resurrection and power. Okay? So let me give you the first part of the answer. What is the what is the core, core aim of the Holy Spirit when he indwells you? He's trying to put the resurrected human life, the human ultimate last Adam life. Because you and I are living in the first Adam. We're always sinning. We're greedy. We're selfish. We're self-righteous. We're full of fear and anxiety and jealousy and all these other things, right? Covetousness. But now the human nature of Jesus is going to be put into us through the Holy Spirit. That's the aim of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's the first thing. And so when Jesus, he gives the Holy Spirit... And what is the Holy Spirit doing? He's bringing, he's uniting us to Jesus so that the ultimate man, the, the last Adam's heavenly glory will start to grow in you. That's yours if you give your life to Jesus Christ, okay? Now let me go to the next, next passage, all right? Let me go to the next passage. John 16, verse 13 and 15. So this is Jesus before he goes to the cross. This is what he's saying to the disciples. And he's starting to tell them, basically, I'm going to die on the cross. And they're going, oh, you know, they, they're really scared. But he says, it's good because the Holy, the Holy Spirit will come. And this is what he says. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, John 16, verse 13, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine 
and declare to you. Let me say that again. He will glorify me. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, if that wasn't important enough, so you missed it, he says it all over. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. The man Jesus is saying this, he's not, so first of all, it's kind of crazy because you have a human being saying everything that God has, well, that's, that's mine. So that's kind of a crazy, that's like, from a Jewish point of view, that's crazy talk. You're like, are you saying you're God? Basically, yeah. But now a man is saying that all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he, that's the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare to you. See, you see how he says it twice? He will glorify me. He'll take what is mine and declare to you. All that the Father has is mine. I said he will take what is mine, which is everything that God has given me, and will declare it to you. Now let me give you the second part of what the Holy Spirit is doing. The Holy Spirit is here to glorify Christ. He's here to glorify Christ. And everything that Christ has, he's going to say it to you. He's going to say it to you. Okay? So, why is that important? You're like, okay, that sounds good. Oh my goodness, it's so important. Let me tell you um, something about how a lot of churches, we're, we, we, go, we love this Holy Spirit, right? It sounds like, sounds like such a great idea. I'm going to tell you a seemingly very simple secret, which is not even a secret, but it feels like a secret because most Christians don't seem to get it. I'm going to tell you how to know when the Holy Spirit is working in you. I'm going to tell you how to know when the Holy Spirit is around. I'm going to tell you how you know when the Holy Spirit is at work, okay? You know when the Holy Spirit is at work when Jesus is glorified. That's what he's doing. It says, he says, he will glorify me. It says right there, he's going, he will glorify me. And then what is Christ is being said, said to God's people. That's it. Jesus is glorified and what is said is said into the hearts and minds of God's people, okay? When that is happening, the Holy Spirit is doing that, okay? Let me just give you a, a little piece of doctrine. Um, ours is the Calvinist church. You know, we follow after, you know, the big name is John Calvin, or, or sometimes it's called Reformed Theology. It's Reformed because in the Middle Ages, you know, the, the church in Europe got really far away from the Bible, and everything had to be reformed back to the Bible, Okay? And, uh, you know, one of the famous theologians is John Calvin. And I'm going to give you a quote from him very soon, right? And one of the famous teachings of John Calvin is that human beings are totally depraved, okay? It doesn't mean that human beings never do anything good, because that's obviously false. What it means is everything inside of us is touched by sin. Your mind, your emotions, your hopes, your dreams, your righteousness, when, you're, when you think you're being a good person, it's not as good as you think. It's touched by sin, right? And he sees that in the Bible, and, you know, and that's been kind of like really like um, pinned down strongly in John Calvin's theology. I, I absolutely believe. I think the evidence for that is all over the place. So if everything is touched by sin, do you think people naturally wake up going, let's be a good human being? 
Let's wake up and like go meet God. You know what? Let's go follow God. You know, when God says something, you know, we should do that, huh? We should do that. <laughs> Let me tell you something. How many people do you know think, act, and desire that? Isn't that like, like not many? <laughs> All right. Okay, I'm a pastor inside the church. Christians are regularly, the Christians, the people who are believe in Jesus, born again, baptized, right? They regularly are looking to cut corners on how to obey Jesus. It is the Christians who regularly are not, in, not interested in learning the Bible. It is Christians who regu regularly complain if the guy up here is talking about the Bible too much, right? I know that as a preacher, if I sit up here and I explain the Bible for 35 or 45 minutes, you won't come back, right? And you're the Christians. So I only explained the Bible for about 10 or 15 minutes, which is a lot. If you go to most other churches, okay, it's kind of sad. Some of the other churches, they don't explain the Bible at all. Or they explain the Bible for about three or four minutes. So like, I'm not trying to boast. Like, if I go 10 or 15 minutes, I kind of feel like, ooh, that's kind of long. <laughs> They're going to start getting bored. Why? Because we're all depraved. And so, if you want Jesus, if you are convicted by something that's said in this word, if you are moved by something that's sung by our brother, right? If somebody comes up here and gives a testimony and says and glorifies Jesus, you see? They glorified Jesus. They were saying, I was depressed, but Jesus lifted me up. I was angry, and I hated my best friend. I hated him, right? But if it weren't for Jesus, I could never have forgiven him. See, that he's glorifying Jesus. Anytime that happens, the Holy Spirit's at work. Because you and I are depraved. If it's just up to me and you, we're going to just sit on our rear ends and watch too much TV and eat too much food. And while we basically, you know, like hate other people and consider ourselves better than them, whatever the reason is that you hate them. You know, like I don't like them because they're poor. I don't like them because they're Republican or I don't like them because they're Democrat. <laughs> whatever it is there, you don't, whatever reason why you don't like, that's all completely normal humanity. But heavenly glorious humanity comes when Jesus is glorified and the truth about him comes into your mind and you're starting to hear it in your mind. In your mind, it's happening. So if you're at home reading the Bible and a verse goes, wait a second, wait, 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 wait a second. I'm like a greedy person. I only care about my money all the time. Maybe I should be generous and love and think about someone who's hurting and poor because Jesus has been wonderful to me. If that thought comes into your mind while reading the Bible, you know what's happening? The Holy Spirit's right there. Jesus is right there. Jesus, you're united to Jesus. Jesus is right there. And by the Holy Spirit, that thought is coming into your mind. So Jesus is being glorified, and he's telling you from Christ. So like Jesus is speaking, and the Holy Spirit is conveying that into your mind. That's union with Christ. Okay, so how can you find out? So if I meet Christians and they're like, oh, you know, they just start like whining and complaining, just like everybody else whines and complains. I'm like, they may be a Christian, but that's just Phariseeism. If I meet a non-Christian 
They're not, they don't even believe in Jesus, but they're interested in the Bible. They are interested in finding out about forgiveness or grace from Jesus. So even though they don't even believe in Jesus, I'm like, oh, there's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you get it? Now, you think this is simple? We're so dumb and so blind, we regularly don't think like this. We always think inside of our own wisdom. We think from our own education. And we think from all like the, the medias and, and whatever you think is like your mom or dad told you. So we always think inside of those things. But if you could begin to think like this, where Jesus is glorified, you can begin to see what he's doing, and you start to move toward that, now you're walking with the Spirit. And uh, I do this all the time, right? And if I didn't do this, you should fire me, <laughs> okay? Because, like, I, how, how am I supposed to help you walk in the Spirit and be united to Jesus if I can't do this? I'm your shepherd, right? So this is the central aim of the Holy Spirit. That's part one. Let's go to part two. I'm going to teach you um, something that's important here. Uh, just, I want to just kind of just like, just think a little bit in big picture. If you go around churches all around the world, there's kind, of con there's kind of like disagreements and controversy about the Holy Spirit. You know, kind of like some people talk about the Holy Spirit as sort of like the shy or the, you know, the, the you know, you know, God, the Father, he's creator of all things, right? Jesus, you know, he came down and he suffered for us. And we know the man just like, so like you look at creation, you say God is the creator. Okay, like isn't, you know, his power is obvious. Jesus redeemer, his power is obvious. What does the Holy Spirit do? He's the sanctifier. He makes us whole. Okay, like what, what does that look like? Right. And so what, what has happened is you have churches in the world that some churches call charismatic churches or Pentecostal churches and they love to celebrate the power of the Holy Spirit. They're, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're all about the Holy Spirit. We're like, okay, great. And then you have other churches and they don't generally talk about the miraculous gifts and they don't usually emphasize the Holy Spirit. You know what they like to typically emphasize? We're strong on the word. We are a very biblical church. We're very, very strong on the Bible and the Word, right? And so let me just kind of, um, um, so th there's, you got the Word-strong churches, and you got the Spirit-emphasizing um, spirit charismatic churches. And what I want to say here is, we at Revive, we love these churches, the Word-centered churches. And our church, we love the charismatic churches. Anybody and everybody who believes in Jesus Christ through the gospel, they're our family. We love them. We honor them. We embrace them, okay? So, okay, but now that I, I just told you we love our family, let me make a minor, maybe not so minor, biblical critique of these two emphasis, right? So, over here on this side, on the Pentecostal side, let, let, let me just give you the worst version, okay? So, not all the Pentecostal churches are like this, but there are some versions that think, you know, they actually, there's actually a name for this worst version that I think is the worst version anyway. Some people call it two blessings theology. So first, you don't believe in Jesus. You're filled with sin and guilt and shame. And you're flopping around and failing inside your life. And you are, you know, bound for hellfire. And you hear the gospel and you know that Jesus atoned for your sin. And wholly by grace, you put your faith in him and you're born again in Christ. Wonderful. They teach this over here, okay? 
But there's a segment, not all Pentecostal churches, but a segment. And they were more common when I was younger. Thankfully, they're not as common today, right? And they would say, first, you must believe in Jesus. That's your first blessing. But, but have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? That's what they would say. And so then you have to go through a second process. And then they would say, why don't you come to church? And then we're going to pray over you. And you will get tongues. <laughs> you will start to like pray in some kind of supernatural word. Like you, you, you may not even understand what the heck you're praying. Blah, 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 blah. A bunch of stuff will come out. And now you are praying in tongues. If you do not have that gift, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. So you must have a second blessing, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's one version of Pentecostal theology. And let me tell you, this is 100% wrong. 100% wrong. And I'll give you a quote. Um, my uh, church history professor, Claire Davis, we were talking about this theology in one of our seminars, and he said, you know, there's really not a problem thinking that God is going to give you a second blessing after you get saved. As long as you believe there's going to be a third and a fourth and a fifth and a hundredth blessing of the Holy Spirit. There's not two blessings. There's a thousand blessings. And you get the Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus. And from the Holy Spirit, you get a thousand, thousand blessings. That's, what he, that's the way. And you know what? That's the truth. But here is the emphasis in certain charismatic circles is that what they're looking for and what they want to celebrate when they're like, what they're looking for is, how do we know we have the Holy Spirit? Miraculous stuff is happening. Tongues is happening. Healing is happening. You know, like, a, you know, like a, a prophecy is happening. So the emphasis is on miraculous gifts. And um, what I want to say is, I believe those miraculous gifts are still real. Okay? So... That's another way of putting it. Some churches are charismatics or churches, and some people are cessationist churches. They say those miraculous gifts have stopped. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says those miraculous gifts have stopped, right? But I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says you should focus on them. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says you should constantly, like, oh, you know, this is, this is the thing. This is how you know that the Holy Spirit is around. And that would be great, isn't it? I honestly am a little like, it'd be nice if you just kind of like have some, boom, this like incredible miracle happen, and now you know the Holy Spirit is with us. But I don't think that's what the Bible says. The Bible teaches the Holy Spirit like this. The resurrected Jesus is a life-giving Spirit. And when you have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of that will, will emerge in you, and that is the heavenly glory of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And you get new and beautiful kinds of human beings. And the number one attribute of them is love. Or let's put it this way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind, love with joy. Or as I preached in a previous series, it's holiness. Right? Now let me turn around and let's criticize this. So our tradition, the Calvinist tradition or the Reformed tradition, we are actually much more known to be in this side. Right? To be on this side to be very, very strong on word and theology and so forth. But let me give you the criticism from this side to this side. You know, there's a bunch of churches. They say they believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But 
it seems like functionally when you go into the church, they forget the Holy Spirit. What they really care about is Father, Son, and Holy Word. <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Word. And you know what? When this set of Christians makes this criticism of, you know, this is more our tribe, our cramp. You know what? I think we shouldn't just say, oh, we're not like that. You know what? If people who are in your family lovingly, maybe always not lovingly, criticize you, you know what you should do? You should listen, <laughs> right? Let me just give you a little bit of like marital and family advice. If your wife keeps telling you, you don't listen to me, you don't listen to me, you don't listen to me, you're always doing what you want, you're always doing what you want, let me tell you something. That's, let me, what are the chances that's true? Like 100%, <laughs> okay? If your kid is always telling you, dad, dad, come on, you're like, you just always pressure me about grades. You just always pressure me about grades. You only care about grades. You don't actually love me for me. What are the chances that they're telling the truth about you? Probably 100%. This is our family. If they tell us that we don't have enough, like, you know, celebration and trust in the leaning of the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're always just about the Word and the Bible, and it's all like the stuff that's in our head, I think that's probably true. Jesus himself teaches us, do not look at the speck in your brother's eye, but look at the log in your own. So here are two ways that I think one side focuses on the miraculous. Okay, charismatics, and let's just call them cessationists, or let's just call them Father, Son, and Holy Word folks. And they love getting to the Bible, they love memorizing the Bible, and they love knowing the theology of the Bible. Okay, in our church we love the theology of the Bible, I would love for you to memorize Bible passages, all that stuff. And yet, what I really, really want to see is that the Word comes to life and Jesus is exalted in your heart, in your head, in your mind, in your heart. And you're in your ears, in your head, in your heart. You can sense Jesus close. And the Holy Spirit is causing you to hear Jesus and love Jesus, repent to Jesus, follow Jesus, obey Jesus. If that's going on, that's, that's a really Holy Spirit-filled church. Now, let me give you this quote. Let's go back to this quote, which I started with, all right, from John Calvin. So he's talking about union with Christ. I'm going to give you this quote, and then we'll go to part three. Here's how we put it. It is true that we obtain this. This is union with Christ. It is true that we obtain union with Christ by faith. So how do you get union with Christ? How do you get the Holy Spirit doing it? It's like you believe it. <laughs> There's no tricks. Faith. Now listen to what he says next. Yet since we see that not all indiscriminately embrace that communion with Christ, which is offered through the gospel, reason itself teaches us to climb higher and to examine the secret energy of the Spirit by which we come to enjoy Christ and all his benefits. What am I trying to say here? How do you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit? You are seeking Christ. You are enjoying Christ. And how are you made to see Christ and enjoy Christ? The Holy Spirit will fill you up 
and make Jesus more and more alive to you by his word. Not just a word that's like, like, like fact knowledge, like, like a test. I know this test. I got this theology right. You know, there's a bunch of people who think like when they get to heaven, there's going to be a test. And then if they get an A on the test, they'll get in. Okay, like that's ridiculous. You know how you get in? You have faith in Jesus Christ. And when you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're united to Christ. And all that is in him, the Holy Spirit gives all that is in him into you. And so, how can you really, really grow and change? To do what John Calvin exam, examine the secret energy of the Holy Spirit by which we enjoy Christ and all his benefits. That's John Calvin's theology. Like, it's weird that Calvinists are not, don't have a reputation for being filled with the Holy Spirit because John Calvin has the most unbelievable theology of the Holy Spirit. That's the theology I want us to have. I want all of you, when you go to church, you know what you want? I don't want to just go to church in me, in my first Adam. I want to go to church filled with the ultimate Adam, Jesus. And how do I get it? You ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you and go to him. When you are in, your, in the Bible and you are praying, you're not praying anything. Okay, let me, let me, let me pray. Okay, you know, like, like, you know, let me, I'm just like, got to figure out how to pray better because, you know, like, there's a way to do it. And if I check all the boxes, I'll just get good at praying, right? Wrong. You say, Jesus, I need you. Will you be close to me? And you trust in that by the Holy Spirit. And then, like, thoughts and a peace and a power will start to come over you, which exalts Christ. And you're like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit taking me to Jesus. Now, I want to close by telling you a story. Part three is called Hearing from Jesus Through the Holy Spirit. And last week, I closed this message by urging you to have, a converse, have to have conversations with Jesus Christ. And all human beings, whoever you are as a human being, you are being shaped and made by whoever you talk to and whoever you listen to. We are super social beings. And whoever we allow into our hearts and our lives and we converse with, they're going to shape you. If they're filled with anger and greed and lies, you're going to be filled with anger and greed and lies. Right? If they hate you and tell you you're stupid all the time, it's just after a short period of time, you will hate yourself and think that you are stupid. But what if the person you're talking to is Jesus? What if the person you're listening to is Jesus? See, it's a convert. Prayer is not only what you say to him. Prayer is how you listen to him. So if you have a conversation, I mean, I'm a very talkative person, and if you ever come to the Park household, you will see that, like, when Grace and I are together, like, I'm doing 80 to 90% of the talking, all right? Because Grace is a quiet person. But if she never talks, that's bad, because that's not a conversation, okay? <laughs> that's, like, really, really bad. That's just, like, Susan being an idiot, just, like, talking all the time and never listening to his wife, Okay? That's just blabbity blast, Susan talking. But Grace is usually happy with me doing about 75 to 80% of the talking. She's happy about that. And when she talks, and I'm actually paying attention, that's a conversation. 
It doesn't matter if you're doing most of the talking, but you've got to do some of the listening, right? How do you listen? How do you listen? You're like, God doesn't talk to me. I read the Bible, and Pastor, I'm not like you. I haven't studied the Bible. Pastor, I'm not even, I'm not like you. I'm not even interested in the Bible. Well, let me give, let me give you a clue, guys. I'm the pastor. I'm a professional Christian. I don't wake up going, dude, let's read the Bible. <laughs> I wake up in the morning, it's another great day. Let's get into the Bible. <laughs> let me tell you something. I'm depraved. I wake up in the morning, I get on my phone, and I'm like, what happened with the Warriors last night? <laughs> okay? That's like the first website I go to usually. Okay? But somewhere along the line, wait, you really need Jesus. And I go to the Bible. But when I go to the Bible, I'm not primarily looking to read the Bible. I'm not really interested in reading, actually. You know what I'm interested in? I'm interested in having a conversation with Jesus. That's what I'm doing. You grew up with this thing, some of you, you, some of you it was called devotionals. Some of you, it was called quiet time. In our discipleship, it's, it's actually, someone gave it a new name. In our discipleship system, Life on Life, Mission on Disciple, we call it personal worship. I don't actually care what you call it, right? What I'm doing is having a conversation with the one I'm united to. And the one that can help me hear him is the Holy Spirit. Because I just told you, and I showed it to you out of the Bible, he takes what is Jesus, and he says it to you. That, it, it says right there. Jesus out of his own mouth says that's what he does. That's what he'll do. Can you believe that? That Jesus himself is the resurrected Christ, and he is life-giving spirit to you. And so his Holy Spirit is poured out from him to you, and what the Holy Spirit is doing is taking what is his and saying it to you. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you'll have a quiet time, <laughs> right? You will do personal worship. You will have conversations with Jesus. If you don't, you won't. I think it's simple. If you don't want to have talk to Jesus, you don't. Because you probably don't, and what's the real issue? You just don't believe he's talking to you. You don't believe you're hearing anything from him. But do you know how incredible and exciting it is when King of Kings and Lord of Lords speaks to you? He doesn't just speak to the church. He doesn't just speak to the pastor. He speaks to you. He speaks to Damon. He speaks to Jamie. He's talking to you. It is deeply personal, united to you. Let me close with this story. Back in um, 2014, so the core of this church, Revived Church, came out of an English-speaking congregation at a church called New Hope. And I've been pastoring there from about 2009. So 2014, we're talking about five years in. And in 2014, the beginning of 2014 looked like an exciting year. We got some new people, and we looked like we were growing, and we looked like we were, I was like, this is going to be kind of cool. We're going to turn the corner, and something exciting is going to happen. But among the, the kind of key leaders, um, I had like three key leaders. Some of you know them, and I won't go into their names and so forth. Um, we, 
we were not coming into agreement. And one of them got pretty upset. And he got disgruntled. And he decided to leave the church. He was a pillar of the church. People loved him, respected him, and leaned on his faith and on his steadfastness inside the church. And he left, and his family left. And then the other guy, which, who was close to him, he decided to leave too. So I went, two out of my three key leaders left. It deeply hurt the church. So just at a time when it looked like our fledgling congregation was going to turn the corner and something incredible was about to happen, like, boom, I lost two out of my three leaders, and our morale in the church went like this, right? And right around that time, we were talking about calling a, a, a second full-time pastor to our church. And primarily, he would lead our small groups and help develop community in our church. That's what we were looking for. And um, so that's where, like, these are, they, they, this stuff came out of that. So let me tell you one other thing. So they leave the end of, like, from about Thanksgiving to Christmas of 2014, the morale in our church was terrible. It was terrible. You showed up at church, it was depressing. People were murmuring, should I leave too? Like, I think some people are going to leave. It was, like, really sad. I even got a couple of texts, Pastor, are you going to quit? I even got a couple texts. And I'm like, no, I'm not quitting. And let me tell you one other thing that was like really hard, just as a pastor and as a leader. You can imagine, these guys were, these guys were respected leaders. They're fairly successful in their careers, and they were significant givers in the church. So just because those two guys left and then a few other people left, guess what, what do you think was going to happen to our, our finances? You, you think they're going to go up? No, of course they're going to go down, and maybe by a lot. And the morale feels really bad inside the church. So I'll, I'll tell you how the story goes. So John Har was like that third remaining leader. He and I talked it over. We were considering Young Kim to be our new community, you know, like develop our community pastor. We looked at our budget. We knew we had about two years amounts of money for him. We could afford him for two years, right? And honestly, we're underpaying him. So underpaying him, we could only afford him for about two years. After two years, something will have to would give. If we don't grow, we either have to let him go. But Young is one of my dear, dear old friends. His wife, Christy, I deeply love her. His children are like niece and nephew to me. If I have to lay off my, like one of my best friends in the world, I will feel like such a crummy failure. I will probably resign. <laughs> That's what we were looking at. But John and I looked at where our church was at and we said, I think this is what Jesus wants. Let's take the chance. Let's do it. So I was like, I was scared. I was really scared. I said, Okay, let's do it. I was scared because our morale was really low. I was scared because apparently I had just failed as a leader and two out of my three guys just left me, right? I was scared because, because one of my best friends was going to come and serve. I was inviting him to come serve with me and I might have to steep. He was going to make important financial sacrifices to come into this really ridiculously expensive city 
and I might have to lay him off after two years. Are you kidding? All right. Here's what happened. So I'm scared. In January, you know what I'm praying? Every day I get in my Bible to do quiet time. It doesn't matter whatever the heck the passage is. You know what I'm thinking about? I'm thinking about money. <laughs> I'm thinking about, oh my gosh, what if I have to lay off my buddy in two years? I will want to shoot myself. I will hate myself. I'm scared. That's on my mind every day. Every day. I come to church, I pretend like I'm okay, but inside, I'm not okay. This is what I'm praying about every day. And let me give you the verse that Jesus gave. Okay? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. When I read this, it like lit up. It like, it, it like lit up like a highlight. Like it might as well have been like on fire from the page. And when I read this, it's like I had never read this before. And this is what it said. Verse 8. Just listen. If you want to go there, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you. You know what the context of this passage is? It's money. The passage is about giving and money. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, this next, listen to this next verse, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Do you know why you know I read that? You know in a church, you know who the sower is? You know who the number one sower of the seed of God's word is inside the church? You're looking at them. <laughs> Whoever is the primary preacher, I'm sowing God's seed into your hearts and mind every week. But here's what it says. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Okay, let me put it this way. He who supplies the gospel to sow to the preacher and money for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I heard that from Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And when he said that, you know what I, I actually scribble stuff. When, he, when I read that, I said, Jesus, did you really say that? <laughs> I actually wrote that down. Did you really say that? Did you really say that? Because I need to know. <laughs> I need to know you said it. And it wasn't just stupid Susan making up stupid stuff in his head. I need to know it's from you. I wrote that down. Well, let me tell you, like about a month later, there was another passage. It was basically like this. A month later, there was another passage. Totally different place to the Bible. It was basically like this. And then I calmed down. And then I watched the Lord provide. That's what it's like. Are you fearful? Are you sad? Are you hurting? 
Is there something inside of you where you just feel so alone and you're so afraid or you're so down? You know who needs to speak to you? Jesus. And you know how you'll hear that and how you'll receive that? Through his word, by the Holy Spirit. And if you will go to him in conversation, by faith, in the union with Christ, you will hear him. And he'll meet you. Let's pray. Lord, we are like secular fools running around like little minions down here enslaved to all the, the demands of the world. And mostly we think we're on our own. And if we're really honest, we know whatever is inside of me, my wisdom, my righteousness, my goodness, it's pretty bore, poor and not much. But Jesus, you have everything from the Father and you long to give it to us. And when you gave us salvation, you didn't just sit up on your throne and said, you're forgiven, and when you get up here, I'll let you in. You gave us salvation so that you would indwell us and you could converse with us and be ever so near us by the Holy Spirit. And when we fall down and fail, Lord, and we forget about you, we're not even paying attention to you and we're living more inside of our depravity and lack of faith, you, you, you send the Holy Spirit to stir us and move us and remind us and take us back to you. I pray that Revive Church would be a union with Christ Church. I pray that Revive Church would be a Holy Spirit-filled church. That our church is exploding with the Holy Spirit but we're not a church that's fixated on miraculous gifts. And we're not a church that takes pride in knowing a lot of things in our head. Instead, we're a church that exalts you by your word through the power of your spirit as you indwell us. And it manifests in heavenly glory through a new humanity in our hearts. I pray that you would give our people this faith to run to you, Lord Jesus, to sit quietly before you and listen to you and trust that the Holy Spirit will whisper, sometimes shout, and move in us and amongst us and give us you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.